my name is Crystal Hall, and I want to welcome you to the 12th episode of Overcomer, Living a Full Life After. I'm really excited about today's episode because I had the opportunity to interview Vicki Stark. Vicki wrote the book, Runaway Husbands, The Abandoned Wife's Guide to Recovery and Renewal. And this is a book that I, I think I'm very fortunate that I found very early in this journey that I've been on now for almost two years. It is a book that I, even two years later, turn to when I am needing kind of some additional guidance. I do consider myself very lucky that Vicki took the time to do this interview with me. You know, we went over a variety of topics that I think is going to be really helpful to other women who have found themselves on this path. I hope that you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoy being able to ask questions of her and kind of have a conversation about what it means to be an abandoned wife and what it looks like when we are dealing with the men in our lives who have changed seemingly overnight. That's today's episode and I hope that you enjoy it. Thank you. I want to welcome you, um, Vicki, for joining us. And what I'd like for you to do this morning is, as I've discussed previously, that how I often start the show off is telling me kind of about your own your own story in order to provide kind of a context for other people who are who are listening to this and how you how you came to write Runaway Husbands. Okay, so Runaway Husbands, which really totally changed my life. Um, So I had been a therapist for about 25 years, a marriage counselor, a divorce counselor, um, and I had believed that I was in the most beautiful, secure relationship, the most beautiful, secure marriage uh, with my husband, who was a total sweetheart. And I had written my first book, My Sister, Myself, and I had been on a book tour for 23 days traveling across America. Um, And the book tour ended in San Diego. I live in Montreal. I took the red eye back and my husband picked me up at the airport. And after 23 days on the road, I was so happy to see him. I was so exhausted. I fell in his arms. I gave him a big hug and he seemed a little bit diffident and it was a little surprising, but nevertheless. So he drove me home and he dropped me off, which was unusual because typically after being apart for so long, he would want to be together. He'd want to at least stay for coffee before going to work. So I didn't think anything of it. And throughout that day, I was unpacking and getting used to being home. And I took a shower and I noticed there was a long black hair, dark hair in the, the bottom of the bathtub. And I thought, that's weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have two daughters with long hair. And so I telephoned my daughter. I said, have you been to my house recently? And she said, no. And being the trusting, loving person that I am, who couldn't even enter into the thought that that black hair got there from something, I forgot about it. Right. And then I went in the kitchen and I noticed that all of the colander was in a different location and the spatula was in a different drawer. And we'd lived there for years. And how come suddenly while I was away, he forgot where the colander goes? Yeah. So I didn't think anything of that either. 
being the person that I am. Right. Um, and so I prepared dinner and that night he came home from work and I said to him, I bought fish. And he said, it's over. And I said, fine, you don't want fish, we'll have chicken. And he said, no, it's over and I'm leaving you right now. Um, and then he proceeded to tell me that he had a girlfriend for six years, which I knew nothing about. Um, and that he was moving in with her right then. So that was, of course, so traumatic. It came at, totally out of the blue. I had no inkling. We hadn't been fighting. There was just really no signs at all. And I should see the signs because I'm a marriage counselor, right? Right. right. Um, and so he, I, I prevailed upon him to stay overnight, but he, he threw his stuff in garbage bags and left the next morning. Um, and that was the end of that 21-year marriage. So, of course, like everybody, like all the other women who have been through this, I was so traumatized. But because I was a marriage counselor, I knew that it was over. Yeah. yeah. Um, I knew that he was with her and that she was his new person and that it was over. And so I didn't really hold out many hopes that he would come back, although I know a lot of women do. So I struggled like everyone else. I lost 30 pounds. I couldn't eat. I was so, so devastated. But I, I knew I had to understand what had happened. How does this happen? How does somebody going, go from being a devoted, loving, doting husband to somebody who not only walks away, but then sort of turns on me and becomes cruel and mean and 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 withholding and difficult and I just didn't recognize him. I knew I had to learn about this and I started researching it of course on the internet like everyone does and at that point there was nothing written. I started talking with other people and little by little I started hearing other similar stories and they were eerily like mine mm -hmm. and that sort of because I'd already written a book that sort of tweaked in my head I should maybe research this a bit more Right. Um, and so I did and started learning more about this phenomenon. And then I, then I started the study, which eventually uh, was of 400 women worldwide who had been left out of the blue from what they believed to be a happy, secure, stable marriage. And when I, the study was partly face-to-face -face interviews that I did with people in, either in person or over the phone or through Skype. And it was partly um, online questionnaires. Mm -hmm. And so when I started at a certain point, I got all the questionnaires. And then one day I sat down, started reading to analyze the data. And I was just completely blown away that there was such a clear patterning from the men who left, from how they left, what they said, what their excuses were, how they behaved afterwards, what, how they related to their their wife and their children. And it just was, it was mind blowing. Um, and so that's what led to the writing of Runaway Husbands. Right. And then eventually creating the runawayhusbands.com website, which became a meeting ground for the women. And then doing the other pieces like like running the retreats that I that I run regularly every year where people right. come together, like where I met you. Yes. Um, and also the other online services that we provide for women. Right. So the anger. So that's one of the questions that has come up over and over again in the group is why are these men so angry? And part of that is they're like, the women keep asking, they're so angry at us, but they're the ones that are, that's doing all this stuff. Right. And it's not like we, we're not the ones that cheated, but 
they're so angry at us. Why are they so angry at us? Yeah. So what causes that, do you think? It's a huge question. Because the first thing that people need to do when their husbands leave is understand. Right. How does this happen? How does somebody morph overnight into an angry stranger? In the years since, since all this happened to me, obviously I've spoken to a lot of people and I've done a lot of, you know, speaking to other therapists and trying to understand what, what has gone on. And I think I, think I do. And, and how I understand it is that I, I know for that my husband, he had this affair for six years and it took him so long to leave because I was a very good wife. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he had a very good life with me, part of a secure family. We had a circle of friends, took good care of him. I cooked, I, you know, I ran a nice household so that he was going back and forth. But he probably, I'm guessing, in his own mind, was going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, and it took me being away for 23 days and him being able to understand that he could survive without me for him to realize, okay, I'm going to leave. Yes. And I think that that's true for a lot of men. I think that they have a lot of ambivalence because their lives with their wives have a lot of pluses in it mm -hmm. and are very, very close to their identity and that they feel very comfortable there. Um, and the girlfriend is very exciting and makes them feel alive, but they have to trade off one thing for another. So in order to walk away from the wife, they can't, because they're, they're fighting with their own ambivalence. So they have to push very hard away from the side. You know, they have to, like from the side of the pool, they have to push away very hard in order to be sure that they don't capitulate and that they don't go back. Because they've tried to get themselves to leave so many times and they chickened out and they're afraid they're going to chicken out. So they have to create a big story in their mind mm -hmm. about the wife. You can't say, leaving my wife, but she's a lovely woman and so beautiful right. um, and such a doll and, and such a you know, great caregiver and homemaker and we have a great life together. However, I'm leaving her because that makes you sound like you're a lunatic. Right. So instead, you have to say, I have to leave her because she's like this and she's like that. And, you know, she's so bossy and she's so dominant and, and she tells me what to do and all of this stuff, which is, which is code war. She takes care of me and helps me make decisions when I can't make them on my own. Right. But he has to say she's so controlling, which is a very common thing that men say. Yeah, for, um, for me. In order to justify. Right. For me, but, I got too big for my britches. Okay. So, you know, he has to create this big case right. and be very angry with you. Otherwise, if he starts to permit any kind or tender feelings, he's afraid. He's afraid he's going to go back. And that's, that's a, a large part of the reason why they have to create this story of what a monster the wife is in order to, in order to justify their own decision. Well, you know, I think, again, when we talk about the similarities, you know, it's the anger. It's, I think, almost in a way the surprise, I think, that some of the men exhibit when they do drop the bomb. That yeah. I think that, at least in my, with my own experience, is that my ex-husband actually act really, acted really surprised when I didn't say, oh, yeah, of course we're done, you know? <laughs> so I think that, again, they create the story in their head about 
what they think is going to happen. And then when that doesn't happen, it's, I'm sure it creates tremendous turmoil for them because again, they have created this scenario. And I think part of that scenario, and I think part of the reluctance or ambivalence that they fear, that they fear is they absolutely have comfort with us because they, we are the, the known commodity, right? If yes. you leave this life into something and as, as exciting as it is, yes. it's still very unknown. And, sure. you know, so I, I think the other part of it is that if they show us all this, if they are so angry towards us, I think part of that too is then they think in their heads that we're just going to walk away too, because what, sa what sane person is going to put up with the abuse that they heap upon us, right? Right. But I think that, you know, one woman said to me, he left me six months ago. He just forgot to tell me. So in his mind, he's, he's seeing how bad everything is. In our mind, it's, oh, we're not having such a good day. Right. Um, but he's seeing how bad everything is. And to him, it's obvious that this marriage is at an end. And he just forgot to tell us. You know, right. we, don't, we don't know what's going on in his mind because he never mentioned it before. Um, that's one thing. But I think there's another element to it. And the other element is that, like, for example, in my case, I was very invested in taking care of him. Um, my husband had health problems, serious health problems. And for the 21 years of our relationship, I was always took care of him and, and put his happiness first. And he will assume, even when he's walking away, that, wait a minute, Vicki, you've changed. You know, you're supposed to put my happiness first. I thought you'd be happy for me. I thought you'd want what's best for me. Right. Um, and that's because that's a testament to the wives who are left behind. Because we're such good caretakers that even in walking away, they think that we're still going to be their caretakers. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's amazing to me because, again, it's, it's about the similarities. You know, that's exactly what mine said at one point is I thought you would want me to be happy. Exactly. I thought our happiness was kind of linked together there. <laughs> No, totally. But, you see, but that gives you a window into his perception. Yeah. Um, his view, like his view is this marriage is so bad and it's on its, its last legs and anyone can see that. Right. And our view might be that, and often the men are, they're in a bad state of mind and they're complaining about work. They're in a bad mood. But they've been in a bad mood before. It doesn't really mean anything. And they often complain about work. Yes. And so you're assuming that they're unhappy with this or they're unhappy with that. And they don't tell you that they're unhappy in their lives and with their relationship because they're too afraid right. of your response. They're yes. too afraid of our anger. They're classically conflict avoiders. Um, and so they don't want to face the anger. You can, they're grumpy. They're not, not in the best of moods. And so they don't want to, you know, so they, in their mind, it's crystal clear that this marriage is, you know, is over. But in our mind, you know, they actually haven't given any indication that that's what's going on right. until they lower the boom and, and boom, it's over. Well, and you mentioned being gone for the 23 days. I was gone for two weeks. And one of the things that he said to me was that that's kind of when he realized that he was like, I had my own freedom. I could, I could, you know, go to whatever restaurant I wanted to do. Now I'm assuming that when he was going to these restaurants, he was probably going with the other 
person, but you know, he's like, I just had all this freedom. And, um, and it's interesting to me again, when we look at the commonalities between these stories, that there's some type of event like that, that happens. And so I think it's almost like a test run for them. Yes, exactly. Know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, either it's the wife who's been away um, or it's the husband who's been away. And sometimes it can only be a weekend or whatever, but don't forget for the majority of cases, there's, there is another woman. Mm -hmm. And that she's been knocking on his head for some period of time saying, wife, when is it over? When are you going to come to me and leave your wife? Um, and so that wife is away, then she, like the woman, my ex-husband's girlfriend, who was living in my house, wow. who was sleeping in my bed, who was going through my underwear drawer, I'm sure, yeah. um, and looking at my things on my desk while I was away, and they were playing house. Yeah. You know, so that during that period of time while I was away, they start to establish their residence in my house. Yeah. Pretty weird. I don't get hurt so easily because I don't really care. You know, that's fine. They had that experience of testing it out and seeing what it was like. Plus, she had his full attention during that period of time. Yeah. When, when the wife was away or when he's away on a business trip and he's alone in that hotel room and thinking and the glue between him and his wife starts to, starts to dry out a little bit. Right, right. And for some reason, I mean, obviously it's not in every case, but it's, it's just struck me that in many cases, somebody had been away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's, that's, that's pretty amazing because I just think it goes back to they're, uh, they're able to live out this fantasy in real time, you know, when, if they're, if they're away or we're away and it, uh, and I, 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 I do, I do, do think that you're right, that the other person is probably also putting that pressure on them. And yes. once that pressure is applied and, and they're, you know, it's this conflict that they're in, which again, it's amazing to me that they're conflict avoidant, but they get into something that's going to create so much conflict, um, not only for themselves, but for anybody that's part of that family, it's going to create conflict. And so they're not, they're truly, I think living in this alternative reality where yes. they're not really looking at the full ramifications of the decision that they are going to make. And, you know, that's the, the other part of it is if there are kids involved, how do we help our kids, you know, either if they're younger or, or, or grown up, how do we help them also move through this transition um, in the healthiest way possible? Yeah, I, I'll answer that question. But just going back to that idea that, they don't understand the ramifications of the decision. A lot of women that I've worked with have said to me, why didn't he say, we've got problems, we need to go for counseling? That's a mystery to people. Why didn't he recognize we've got problems and why didn't he work on it? Yes. A lot of women are very hurt by the fact that he just flew away, like my husband just walked away from one minute to the next and there was no, no effort made on his behalf to, to retrieve the marriage. Right. And I just wanted to underscore that point that for the, many of the women that I've worked with over the years who have runaway husbands, their husbands are not serial, you know, uh, affair guys. Right. They're not guys who typically have affairs. They're guys who are devoted husbands, like I believe my husband was. Um, and then something happens. And... 
typically what happens and how we understand it is that they get to a certain age or their father dies or they lose their job or something happens in their life and they start to feel like, is this all there is? Um, I've been a good husband. I've been a good father. I've been a good son. I've been a good provider. Uh, you know, I've been, I've been, I've devoted my life to my family. When do I get to be James Bond? Right. You know, when do I get to have my turn? Then when they're in that frame of mind, somebody, and it's often somebody at the office or it's the personal trainer or the massage therapist, mm -hmm. or I don't know, the kid's babysitter, some younger woman looks up at him and says, oh my God, you're so interesting. Tell me that story, you know, which the wife has heard 55 times. Right. Um, and, you know, tell me all about you. And he looks like a very attractive man to her. And so he, he falls. Yes. And he's just so thrilled that he feels alive again that he feels hot, he feels sexy, right. you know, that he gets really turned on, you know, in a way that he doesn't with his wife so much anymore. Right. And with the wife, it's more of the same thing, or it's a bit of a, an arm wrestle about being sexual and all of that. But with the girlfriend, it's an affair, so it's exciting. Mm -hmm. And he feels alive and excited. So there's no decision-making process that's going to come into this because for him, it feels like choosing life or choosing jail time. Right. He, he just can't stop himself. Right. And there's no point to go to marriage counseling because he's already gone. Yes. He left six months ago and forgot to tell her. Emotionally, he knows he's already gone. He was just waiting till he could get the courage to right. pull the plug and do the next, you know, and move on to the next phase in his life. That explains why they don't go to marriage. It's not like they're sort of thinking, oh, things are not so great with my wife and, you know, we really need to work on it and all that. No, he's in this altered state of testosterone and excitement. Mm -hmm. And he's thinking like a, you know, like an 18 year old. And he doesn't, again, it's the same thing. He doesn't want to go to marriage counseling and have his mind changed. Right. Well, that's they're, very what he wants. they're very resistant because uh, my ex and I, we went to four counseling sessions together and that was probably, I, I would say one of the most traumatic experiences I went through just because he was allowed, I think in a way to really express his anger towards me yes. and it wasn't helpful. And I just kept going, here is this person who I had no idea was harboring all this resentment and anger and dissatisfaction yes. um, over the things that I had done thinking, you know, the things that I was doing was all about, you know, making sure that we had food on the table and, you know, a secure retirement, you know, so I was like building up this, this, this future in my head and he saw it as, um, I guess me, undermining his masculinity I don't know but it was it was pretty amazing to me and I think that's part of it is that when you go through something like this you always think that hey if things get really bad in our marriage we're, we're two adults we're going to talk about it and if we yes. both make this make the decision to end it right then that's the decision you know both of us will be happy with it but that yes. decision is completely taken away yes from us yes. And that's what, that's a large contributor to the trauma. Yes. When your life changes on a dime, whether it's a car accident or an assault in the street 
or your husband walking away, your life changes on the dime, in a dime, and your future is completely different than what 10 minutes ago, what you thought it was going to be. You don't recognize your life. Your mind can't integrate the new reality. It, the mind locks, and that's where, where we get traumatized. And that's why the women who have experienced this have so many physical, somatic complaints. Mm -hmm. Nausea, vomiting, weight loss, mm -hmm. crying, uh, heart palpitations. And it's so bad that, you know, in some cases, women actually get uh, a heart attack. There's yeah. a certain thing called heartbreak, heart attack, that women can actually have such an intense physical reaction that they, you know, I know for myself, I became anemic, which I'd never been before. But, um, you know, that it affects your body. Um, and that's what indicates that it's an actual physical trauma. Right, right. And that's why it takes so long to recover from. But getting back to your other question about how do we help the children and the young adults get through this because it's happened to them too. Well, and they question, just like we question, has this whole 20, 30 years, has this all been um, a facade? And exactly. look at their dad, you know, as was he just living this lie and just was waiting for us to, to grow up and move out, you know, especially if they're older. Yeah. Um, everything that we know about our dad doesn't seem to be true. And so that's a real struggle. I think that especially if, if you have um, young adults that they yes. struggle with struggle with. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge struggle. And often they feel, um, they feel not acknowledged in the whole process because the mom is so devastated. It's interesting for younger children, they don't have any choice. Often they go back and forth. Right. The divorce agreement requires them to go back and forth. So they have to go to their dad's house and they have to have that life with their dad. And so, and maybe the dad's helping them with homework or taking them bike riding or going to the zoo or something like that. So they have a certain relationship with their dad that continues in the normal parent-child way. Right. So it's for the older teens and the young adults that have a choice, that have an option, whether they're going to see their dad or not, and who often don't see their dad, um, choose not to see their dad because they feel betrayed. Mm -hmm. And so that means that the, the parent-child relationship gets cut. Right. In the same way that the husband-wife relationship has been cut. And so because the child is, they don't know how to get over their anger. They see their mother is devastated. They see their father is all happy and excited in his new life mm -hmm. and wants them to be happy for him and wants them to come and meet the new girlfriend and meet her children and, and, and fold them into his new life. And they don't understand why their kids are so, so reluctant to do that and so angry and so it's so screwed up by everything that happened. Right. And um, then, they blame, then they blame the mom, right? They yeah. I mean, that's the typical thing. Yeah. yeah. That, the, that the husbands say, oh, the mom is poisoning your mind. You know, if your mom weren't so depressed or if your mom wasn't talking badly about me or whatever, um, then we could just continue on in our relationship, mm -hmm. you know, as a father and child. Right. Um, and they don't understand that when you're 16 or 26 or something, or even when you're six, you know, you're old enough to be able to observe what's going on um, and come to your own conclusions. Right. 
So this is the father who might have taught them values when they were growing up, who might have taught them about honesty, how important it is to be honest. You don't lie to people. How important it is to you know, take care of your mom. You don't talk to your mom that way. Exactly. Um, all the things that the dad might have taught them growing up, and now suddenly they see him doing the opposite and lying to mom and lying to them. Right. Um, and and talking talking disrespectfully to the to the mom or whatever, um, and that's very confusing when the person who you who you looked up to and admired shifts right. and becomes somebody that you lose respect for. It can devastate you and makes you wonder who can I trust. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, again. 32 years with my ex-husband and my, I had my oldest and my youngest were entering into marriages that summer. Yes. And it, so it could not have happened literally at a worse time. Yes. But I look at that and I, and that's part of, I guess my anger towards him is why couldn't he have kept it together long enough to where our kids could enter their marriages without this happening because yes. again it made them I think in many respects kind of question so 10 years 15 20 years down the road is what just happened between my parents going to happen to me and I'm entering this relationship hoping that's going to be forever but I've just seen what I thought was going to be forever yes blow up yeah it, it's it's very rough yeah. it's very hard for them yeah um but the guys don't get that at all the dad well they they're not able to to anticipate what's in how you know how extreme the reaction is going to be and the metaphor that i use is that if you push a boulder off the top of a hill and it starts rolling down it's going to break a tree and trample a flower and and you can't anticipate what damage is going to be done once you start this process in motion right. and i think often the men are shocked that their children don't want to see them. Um, and they're also devastated. You know, it doesn't mean that they're a bad father. Sometimes they can be a very loving father um, and just got screwed up in the relationship with the wife, but they, they lose that option, you know, in the same way they, the men took away the wife's option to be a wife, the children take away the father's option to be a father. Well, um, I think it goes back to what you said earlier about, you know, in their heads, they think that we're going to be happy for them or want them to be happy. And I think that they think that that's the same thing that their kids are going to, well, our, my kids just want me to be happy. And absolutely my yes. kids just, they just want their dad to be happy, you yes. know, but they didn't want it to be necessarily at the expense of, of our family. Yes. And all the changes that take place, right. all the birthday parties, all the Christmas dinners, all the events, all the graduations, all the marriages, where it's awkward and uncomfortable, and now there's this layer of stress all the time. Yes. So, you know, that I mean, just the most simple things. I remember, you know, this is a, a, a maybe a different kind of circumstance, but I, I worked with a girl whose parents got divorced, um, and the dad went on a business trip to, to Norway and brought her this beautiful Norwegian sweater. Mm -hmm. um, and she was about 15 or something and she was very happy and she got the sweater and the mother said, well, he buys you things, but you know, he doesn't have money to give me to, to pay for your piano lessons or something. Right. Like that. Wow. So now the girl feels like 
or I'm going to wear this sweater. Now I can't wear the sweater because it upsets my mother. So even on the most mundane level, you know, sometimes things become charged and loaded where they never were before. So that, you know, that's another unanticipated consequence of pushing that boulder off the hill and then not never knowing what kind of damage it's going to do. Right. Well, and I've had to, I've had to say to my kids, so my youngest grandson is going to be a year old in June. And I basically told my son and his wife, I said, it's Michael's first birthday. You guys have to know that if you want to have a birthday party, that you, you invite whoever you want. And Mm -hmm. I will do what I need to do in order to get through it. So if you're inviting your, you know, I, I said to them, I said, I, you know, I have to come to a, to a place essentially where I'm going to have to be around him. Mm-hmm. And I don't ever want you guys to make decisions about whether or not you should invite one of us because we are the grownups here. Yeah. And we're just going to have to deal with whatever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. That's but that being said, you know, they're yeah. like, you know, they, my, my youngest son, you know, he, he's told me, he's like, mom, this, cre-, he goes, this creates stress that I never even, I never even thought I'd have to think about. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, and a lot of moms couldn't do that, yeah. you know, and might say, if you invite your dad, I'm not coming. Yeah. Well, don't invite your dad because I want to come. Or your dad will come to the first part of the party and I'll come to the second part of the party or whatever. Right. You know, and then it's just excruciating. It's just, it ruins everything. Right. And so that's very, you know, that's so wonderful that you're able to sort of hold your nose and say, this is just the start of a whole lifetime of being separated, of being divorced. So, you know, we're not going to screw up all the kids' events for the rest of their lives because it's uncomfortable for us. And, you know, one of the, another, you know, sort of maxim that I have is, What's extraordinary becomes ordinary. Right. So that, you know, initially it feels so awkward and painful to be in the room with him. But after you've done it five times, you know, at the birth at your grandson's birthday party and then at the other party and then at this, that, and the other thing, um, after you've done it five, ten times, then it just becomes commonplace. Right. And just the other thing I wanted to mention is that I've heard several times about uh, your child's having a, a wedding or a graduation and you're agonizing about going because he's going to be there and that somehow you go, that women go and it's not that bad. Yeah. He's sort of skulking around at the perimeter of the party and the mom is more central at the party and it's not that bad. And so that a lot of times there's all this anticipatory anxiety about seeing him again. Right. But once you break the ice, eh, it's only George. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, yeah. it's only George. It's same old George, whatever. Right. Um, and it's, you know, it stops being so painful over time. Right. Well, again, my, you know, for me, it's, it's always been about trying to make sure, you know, that I put my kids first. And so, you know, I think that's part of it is that when you're going through something like this, and if you have kids involved, you know, you, the thing that I said to my own therapist was that I felt like, I feel like I have to be the stable parent, the parent who is rational. And I can't as much as, as this has been incredibly painful and I, I've, I've, it's taken me a while to get to this place. My kids can't suffer the consequences of yeah. what has happened. And so it, you know, all goes back to that unconditional love that we have for our yeah. kids. And so yes. I want to do whatever I can to minimize 
the stress and you know, so that being said, whenever that birthday party happens, I will probably have a therapy session a couple of days before. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the questions that came up in the group is how do we stop the obsessive thoughts of our um, husbands with being with yes. the other woman and their new lives? Yes. yes. Um, so one of the things that, that, that contributes to that well, first of all, in the first six months, let's say, definitely in the first three months, but in the first six months, you can't. Right. You can't because that's part of the trauma. When the trauma happens, whether it's a car accident or an assault on the street, like I said, um, it's your mind is saying, how did that happen? You know, how did the car jump the, jump the rail? You know, how did that other car come here? You're trying to absorb it. Like he said this, and he always told me that. And then where was he when he said he was there? And you're trying to piece together what happened in my life. Right. And you don't really know what happened in your life. And so you're trying to understand that. And that's going to be normal. And unfortunately, it's so painful and it's so exhausting, but it's sort of inevitable. I, I believe it's sort of inevitable, you know, that that's going to happen. But after six months or eight months or, you know, as we're getting close to a year, hopefully that those obsessive thoughts are going to start leaving you. For those women who have a job and go to work during the day, they can escape that constant reworking in their minds mm -hmm. for eight hours a day. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that helps recover from that stage of obsession is to be, to be occupied, mm -hmm. um, to just get through the day, to do the things that you need to do and to have some distractions. So for, for a certain percentage of the women, they've been stay at home moms and they've been in the house and the husband leaves and then they have this big day in front of them mm -hmm. where all they're going to do is grieve mm -hmm. and feel the pain. Right. Um, and that's very hard. So, you know, not that they all have to go out and get a job, but the, if you can join a group or if you can volunteer at the hospital or if you can do something um, that will start to fill up your time more, mm -hmm. that will help with the obsessive thoughts. Right. That being said, there's a certain number of women, certain percentage that years later, it's still the touchstone the benchmark, not benchmark, the touchstone of their lives. Mm -hmm. So anything that happens, they're thinking, oh, well, if he were, hadn't done this, this bad thing wouldn't have happened. So they get stuck. Uh, they get stuck. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're you know, spinning their wheels in the mud and they can't get traction to move forward. And definitely therapy helps. Mm -hmm. And to find a therapist who understands this phenomenon of wife abandonment, which is different than a typical divorce, because not all therapists do. But to understand also, and I think that this is part of the important thing, is to recognize that life will throw us challenges. And often for those women who've had a beautiful, perfect life with their husband, they're not used to dealing with the hard stuff. But there's no guarantees you know, it can be anything. It could be an illness. It could be anything that's going to derail your life. And the question is, how are you going to face what life sends you right. and try to face it with courage and with grace and say, okay, life, bring it on. I can handle this. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. And I'm going to move forward in my life. And I know it's easy to say for those women whose life 
circumstances have been really curtailed. You know, maybe they had a wealthy husband and they traveled and they had, you know, all of this stuff and now they're living in a condo somewhere or an apartment somewhere and, you know, they don't have the money coming in or, you know, they don't have the two salaries and their lives are harder, actually harder. But in spite of all that, I think it's possible to choose happiness and to say, what a blessing to wake up today, you know, to not be in the hospital bed somewhere and to really be able to appreciate life and appreciate the things that we do have, right? You know, rather than keeping the focus on the things that we've lost. For many women, like I know, you know, for many women, they might have a beautiful family. Mm-hmm. They might have children and grandchildren. And what a blessing that is, you know, and, and they might, you know, have, have friends or people who care about them or siblings or parents even, you know, they might have, they might have other people in their lives and there's many different kinds of love. You can have a cocker spaniel or even go outside and, you know, commune with nature or try to move, try to, try to just appreciate being alive because that sense of gratitude and appreciation is tremendously healing. Right. Well, and I think it, it is the opportunity to kind of re-examine. I mean, just like these, I think these men have spent years looking at their own lives and trying to figure out why, why they are so unhappy. And then I think that's part of the reason why, like with my ex-husband, it was, you know, buying a, a Harley Davidson motorcycle. They figure out, this is what I'm going to do in order to make myself happy. And I think that we almost have to do the same thing. So what are the things that we did not do during our marriage, what are the things that we can tap back into in order to find ourselves again? Because I think, you know, with any type of long-term relationship, there are things that we give up, not necessarily because the other person has asked you to give up, but you know, through the process of raising a family, living life, that sort of thing. And we do have all this additional time on our hands, you know? So for me, it was relearning the piano, uh, teaching myself how to crochet. I mean, these were things that I tried to do in order to occupy the the space in the evening time, you know, because I do yes. work, but yeah. times can be really difficult. Joining a meetup group. You know, I live in a community that I was not born and raised in. And so mm-hmm. I live here and I didn't really have friends. And so I joined a meetup group. I've managed to meet a couple of really wonderful women that mm-hmm. we go out and do stuff together, yeah. you know? So it's, it's stuff like that where when I'm talking to different women in the runaway husbands group that mm-hmm. I try to, you know, in my podcast, I try to say, you know, now is your opportunity. Try to figure yeah. out what it is that you want to do. Be selfish with yourself. But like anything in life, there are pluses and minuses. Mm-hmm. When a husband leaves, it feels like the minuses are so huge and the pluses right. are so small. But there are pluses and minuses. And if you can look at the pluses, you have freedom to do things. You can do whatever you want. You know, you, you can make your choices. You can go on the vacation next to someone who's snoring or whatever the, the pluses are, you know, that we, we can grab hold of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and over time, like any kind of grieving process, eventually time will heal, hopefully. And if time is not healing, then we need to, you know, really be aware of that and, and go into therapy and figure, figure out what's, what's holding you back from moving on, doing the next step. Like you, Crystal, doing your podcast and doing these amazing things and providing a service mm-hmm. to other people who are struggling in their lives. We're all struggling in our lives one way or another, even if you can't see it. You know, the people who look terrific and look like they have it all. We're all struggling to be happy and to get our way through this life um, with a sense of appreciation and joy. And so in your podcast, 
you're providing so much, you know, and it's really done, done with love mm -hmm. um, and it's enriching other people's lives. And that's exactly the kind of thing that people, you know, need, not everyone can, can start, start a podcast, but, right, right. but you know, it's the kind of thing, you know, to start to think, what can I do that will contribute to this world? Right. Exactly. Well, that's, I think that's a big part of it is finding that sense of purpose. And I think once you have found that sense of purpose, then, you know, that is not to say that I don't still get sad, believe me. Yes. I still get sad and I, I kind of have come to this place of acceptance where I think there's always going to be a part of me who is going to be sad about what I thought was going to be my future, you know, yeah. you know, and I, I still care about my ex-husband. I don't want anything bad to happen. That's always yeah. going to be a part of me. You know, our, yeah. our past, that's always going to be a part of me. Again, it's going back to if we can figure out what is going to be our driving force and if we can tap into that then i think then when you're getting through those down times that you're going to be able to work through them much easier and it doesn't have to be a big thing it can be a small thing absolutely you know it can be helping out a neighbor or you know watching a neighbor's dog or something you know just something that keeps you connected to other people and to your community i just want to say the runaway husbands community is a fabulous resource and the runaway husbands facebook group and the healing circles that are worldwide where you can connect with people in your own community um, and it's free, you get together and you know you might meet for coffee if there's somebody else in the community or coming to the Jump Up in Montreal or you know coming to one of the retreats. The different things that are available, they're so valuable to be able to talk to other people who really know what you're going through. Absolutely. And, and again, the, the jump up retreat that I went to, as you know, you know, there's a group of us women who've really connected. And so we text each other, like if there's something that's going on and we all get it, you know, because nobody who's, um, if you've not experienced this, you're not going to get it. It's not a typical divorce. Yes. Um, and so being able to share the frustration and the pain, whatever, you know, or even the, the happiness, you know, the, the great things that are going on and knowing yes. that you have other people who have gone through exactly what you've gone through, that sense of, it is, it is a community, right? And so that's part of it. That is, that is that connect. That's part of that connection. How about interacting? And I think this is more pertinent to women with younger children. How yeah. do you deal with interactions with the other woman? What, what, what's your advice there? I think it's on a case-by-case -case basis. You know, being a therapist, when somebody calls me up and makes an appointment, I don't know what they're going to be talking about. They can be talking about anything. Mm -hmm. So in my practice, I have had many, many clients who are the other woman. I have many clients who are the men thinking of leaving their wives. I've been a therapist for 35 years. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's gone on. When I have clients who are the other woman, Often they say to me that the boyfriend is saying to them, oh, my marriage is over. We're just living under the same roof. We're basically separated in the same house. Mm -hmm. I mean, very often the husbands sell them a bill of goods right. and tell them that, you know, she knows it's over. The wife knows it's over. And they tell the other woman all sorts of things that aren't necessarily true. So as much as we all want to, you know, vilify the other woman and say how horrible she is to be involved with a married man, and particularly a married man who might have children, we don't really know what's going on there and what he's told her. If this woman is taking care of your kids and if, they, if your joint custody is 50-50, 
And half the time, this person is the one who's disciplining your kids and serving them dinner. It's better not to make an outright war with her because it puts the children in the middle. So I know maybe this is an old-fashioned idea, but if you want to try to be ladylike or you want to try to have dignity and be neutral as much as you can in your interactions with her, if you have children who are going back and forth and who are going to be living in that household with their father and the girlfriend or his new wife, it's best if you can at least outwardly make with the teeth and just try to be civil. Because the only thing that matters is the kids. And we don't want the kids to feel this terrible loyalty bind. Maybe they go over there and maybe she's nice to them. And maybe they have a good time when they all go together to the movie or something. And then are they gonna feel guilty? I shouldn't be having fun because mommy doesn't like her. You know, you have to be Mother Teresa. You really have to be a saint. Yeah. in order to be able to manage that. And any woman who's doing that, I give you 100% of my appreciation and I'm in awe right. of women who have to do that, you know, and send the children over to the runaway husband and his new wife or girlfriend. Yeah. You know, I really am in awe of that. It's very, very tricky. But I think that if we can take the high road, it's the best thing possible and certainly not to bad mouth the other woman to the children because they may be making a relationship with her. So what would be the one piece of advice that you would give to somebody who is feeling like they are stuck in this process? How do we get unstuck? Well, I'm going to say the thing that I've said before, which is jump out of an airplane, do something, do something wonderful. Do something exciting. Take that trip. I had one woman who, who bought an RV and drove across country. You know, do something. I mean, it doesn't have to be an expensive thing like that. Right, but right. Just do something different in your life. If you're feeling stuck and you're feeling stuck in mourning, you want to know that you're alive and that you have a life to live and that you have a future in front of you. And sometimes the way to unstick it is the way a dog does when they're wet and they shake. Right. You know, you got to shake it off and you have to try to, try to, to dare, do something that's daring. Right. And it sure. might be join a meetup group if you don't feel like, you know, and walk into a room full of strangers and, you know, and go to a wine tasting or something like that. It might be something like that. You know, it doesn't have to be the biggest thing in the world, but that's what I would recommend. Let yourself know that you're alive. Again, it goes back to looking at what are the things that maybe you always have wanted to do and for whatever reason, you've not done that thing. One of the things that I've mentioned in the podcast, again, it doesn't have to be anything big, but if you can think of that one little thing and the little successes start building up to the bigger successes. And so like for me, eventually I do want to travel, you know, someplace by yes. myself. And so right yeah. now it's figuring out what are some small, small trips that I can take. So I feel yes. comfortable going by yeah. myself. And eventually yeah. I hope to do something, go to Europe completely yeah. by myself, but yeah. I can't take that big step until I'm willing to take the small steps. Yes. Yeah. And okay. Don't about it. Vicki, it's always a pleasure. And I'd like to talk to you, Crystal. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. Thank you. And so if women have questions for you, yes. um, do, can you just tell me um, what your email address is so that they can reach out to you if they have a question or want to connect in some way? Sure. It's Vicki, V-I-K-K-I, at runawayhusbands.com. Okay. And so if they want to get in touch, they can get in touch. 
that's it. Best of luck and yeah. you're doing fabulous work. And I'm going to tell you that you were my godsend in the early days when I was going through this and on behalf of myself and all the women that you've been able to help over the years, I really do thank you for what you've done. <laughs> thank you, Crystal. So again, I want to thank Vicki for joining us in today's podcast. I know that her schedule can be a very busy one. She does continue practice as a marriage and family therapist, as well as her work for women like, you know, like the both of us who have gone through being abandoned by our now ex-husbands. So, you know, I am trying to bring something a little different to the podcast world. I know that there are podcasts out there that deal with relationships, they deal with divorces, but I really do think that for women like Vicki and I, this divorce um, is, a, is a lot different and can be pretty traumatic for the women who are experiencing it. So I hope that I am bringing some value to those who are choosing to listen to this podcast, you know, even if you're not going through the types of divorces that um, we have gone through and you find this valuable, I would really love if you could leave me some feedback on any of the various platforms out there that you use in order to listen to Overcomer living a full life after. And so just to remind you, you can find me on Apple podcast Stitcher, Google Play, and the platform where I'm hosted um, on Podbean. So leave me a comment, leave me feedback. I would love to hear from you if you're listening to this podcast. So where can you find me? There are a few places that you can find me. And that is you can find me on Facebook through my Facebook group, Overcomer with Crystal. You can also find me on Instagram at I am Crystal Hall. My first name is spelled C-H-R-I-S-T-A-L. And then I also have a blog called It's Never Too Late to Try.com. If you have questions that you have of Vicki, you can reach out to her through email at Vicki, V-I-K-K-I at runawayhusbands.com. And I also hope that you will check her website out as well, where you're going to be able to get some additional resources. Vicki also has a Facebook group for women who are going through this called Runaway Husbands. Um, So, you know, if you are a woman who have found themselves being abandoned by your husband and you do not know which direction to turn, I would really encourage you to buy the book, Runaway Husbands, The Abandoned Wife's Guide to Recovery and Renewal, and also checking out Vicki's website, runawayhusbands.com. I want you to remember that you can overcome and you can live a full life after. Thank you so much.